0: Listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit HarvestKelowna.ca. You
1: can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And the ushers are coming forward with some packs for our kids as our kids, our older kids are in the service with us today and there are some things to follow along with and for to keep your hands a little busy and uh, your mind's a little occupied, but kids be listening too because a lot of these truths you can be listening and you can be taking and learning and applying in the life, in, in your life as well. And so we're glad to have from time to time our older Harvest kids in here with us. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be reading from there in just a moment. Carbon monoxide is known as a silent killer. It is odorless, it is tasteless, and sadly, every year it seems we can hear stories in the news where tragedies have taken place or near tragedy have taken place. Just last week, I heard in Saskatchewan at a hockey tournament that a lot of the hockey players were getting ill and, and getting nauseous and all the signs of uh, of carbon monoxide poisoning. And it was in the arena they were in. It was so cold, it was like minus 40-something crazy. And, and the vents had all frozen shut. And the Zamboni, uh, the carbon monoxide from the Zamboni cleaning the ice was causing there to be high levels that was making kids sick. And thankfully, there was no serious injuries that took place. But sadly, we hear these kind of stories from this silent ki- killer that people aren't even aware because it is tasteless, odorless, and, and, um, and, and not even able to see it. There's another silent killer, and we're going to be talking about it, and it leaks, lurks deep within our heart, and oftentimes it is undetectable by those around us. It's, it's deep within our heart and yet it ends up at times showing itself in different ways. But one of the ways that it shows, it shows itself to us in, in various ways because what ends up happening, it steals our joy, it saps our strength and it leaves us disillusioned, empty, discouraged in life, in our service for God, in our, in our walk with God. And it has to do, this silent killer is our motives and and the things that we do for God in in our service for him and and our... Acts of even worship towards him. And as we come to Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing the heart. He is going here in these these eight verses of of chapter 6. He's going hard after our hearts. And he's dealing with the motivation as to why we do what we do when it comes to our accomplishments or when it comes to our religious activity and our acts of even devotion to God. Are we doing what we are doing in order to impress others, to receive praise and accolades from from people, to get more likes and to get approval from people? You see, sadly and dangerously, our lives can be filled with with doing the right things, looking the part, and having the wrong motives. That's an issue Jesus is calling out here in Matthew chapter 6. It was the prophet Isaiah who said centuries ago and then restated by Jesus in Matthew 15. He said, these people, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And you know, that can so often be the truth in my own life. And say the right thing, do the right thing. Have all the knowledge, not all the knowledge, but some knowledge. And yet have a heart that's evil. We can be so busy doing the right things, making people look at us, and and, and and people are caused to look at us because they see our spiritual activities, they hear us, they see us, they see, oh, that person is so on fire, they're so effective for the kingdom, and yet our hearts can be sinful and distant from God, self-centered shriveling up on the inside while we have all the outside activity going on. It was a Russian author who this quote on the screen. He says, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like. And it's terrible. Because, to be honest with you, the story I told you today, I don't tell that story to say, oh, Melden stopped and helped a guy on the side of the road. Meldon drove past him. Meldon figured he was too busy. I didn't want to get my hands dirty. Someone else would do it. And as I drove another kilometer, there was this battle going on. And it was, as I told you, it was like living out the the story of the Good Samaritan. (laughs) Then I was thinking, what are you preaching on about hypocrisy? What timing, hey? That's my heart. It can be terrible at times, it's selfish. We saw in chapter 5 that Jesus was teaching that the life of a kingdom citizen, in order to be saved, in order to be a disciple, it's not outward rule-keeping that will save you. It's not portraying a certain image. It's not going to church Sunday after Sunday. It's not going through all the different steps and, 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 and getting a little asterisk by your name, meaning you're a member of a church or whatever it is. That a true disciple, it's about a transformation of the heart, it's about being changed from the inside out, not through outward activities that make us look holy. That is not what declares us to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. Jesus is saying it's about an internal change that is happening, it's about a heart that is being changed, a heart of stone that has been changed to a heart of flesh, and that heart of flesh continues to grow and to develop, to reflect, and to become more and more like the heart of Christ. And so as we move into chapter 6, Jesus addresses religious activities. And not just the religious activities, but ultimately the motive behind these religious activities. And he addresses how dangerous it is to be living for the praise and the glory of others. And in fact, he calls people who are driven by this wrong motive of self-glory, he calls them hypocrites. Now the word hypocrite comes from the word uh, comes from the theater, and, and it, it it basically is a word for an actor, someone wearing a mask, someone who is portrayed to be someone who they really aren't. They play a part, but there's no inner reality. They're just it's just good acting. And we give awards throughout the year, or Hollywood gives awards, and and and, and to to. People who are good at their work. Well, many of us could probably also earn some academy awards for the way that we can also go about our Christian lives. We, we play the part, we look the part, we say the part, and yet there's not a lot of inner reality going on. And the big idea that we're going to see in these eight verses today, the big idea, I encourage you to write this down, and then we're going to work through it in three sections here. It could be summarized in a sentence, and here is the sentence. The right start with a genuine heart will result in rewards that are out of this world. So having the right start, the start is important, it's essential, with a genuine heart will result in rewards that are out of this world. And so we're going to start reading. We're going to read the first eight verses here. This is Jesus speaking. It could be the red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, these are red letters. This is, we take notice. These are the words from Jesus. And he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Or your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, And on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so first of all, the the first thing we're going to look at here and talk about is the right start. And the right start is addressed in Matthew chapter 5 in the 48 verses that we worked through over 15 or 16 weeks. The right start, I mean an authentic salvation, an authentic salvation experience with Jesus Christ. This is what we're talking about in being the right start. And this is what Jesus is starting his sermon off at in Matthew chapter 5. About the right start, about the right heart. The Christian life, the the life of a Christ follower isn't just simply praying some little prayer that kind of covers off your eternal security. And now having Jesus as your forever friend... You're now on a mission to live your best life now and that Jesus is there just to make all your dreams and realities just happen here on this earth. That's reading not from the Bible. That's from modern day authors and and those who would love to teach a different gospel. That's a false gospel, but it's so popular today. Even one of the church, a church mission statement I I saw this past week of a church in our region and, and their statement is, you becoming you. That is just so unbiblical. We are, the church does not exist so that you can become you. It's so that we can glorify God. It is that we can live the life that God would have us and that he would be glorified in and through our lives. And so it's the right start in authentic salvation. This doesn't mean religiosity. It doesn't mean hoping that enough good works will, will outweigh the bad things that we've done so then God will accept us. That's not what it means to, to be saved by doing a bunch of good works. I like what John Piper said. Look at this quote. He says, You become a Christian by despairing despairing of your own righteousness and throwing yourself like a helpless person on Christ for his righteousness. So any good that we see in our lives, any of the good works, even the Bible calls it, our good works are filthy rags compared to his righteousness, to his glory, to his majesty. And, 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 and so we, we become a Christian by saying, I can't do it. And, and that was the very beginning of Jesus' sermon. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who realize, I can't do it. We throw ourselves at God's mercy and his grace and we receive his righteousness in exchange, he takes our unrighteousness and he took it to the cross for us. God's favor upon a life that comes to him in that way. God's favor comes. God's new life, the new birth takes place when we despair over our own righteousness and we, we, we receive by, great, by faith his amazing, amazing grace in our lives. When we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus and say, you are my Lord, you are my master. And though we will struggle with sin in our lives, we should struggle the ideal goal of sanctification is we struggle less and less in other areas. But new areas will come. The enemy is deceitful and he is cunning. But that as we continue on in the process of sanctification, we become more and more like Christ. More and more reflecting his love and his grace. And as we receive his righteousness, as we receive his mercy and his grace, we believe that his son, that Jesus Christ was that substitute. He took our place for our sin. And his death on the cross provides that life, that salvation that we cannot earn. It's all because of Jesus And that's when a heart of stone is changed into a heart of flesh. And one of the best evidences of a salvation, of an authentic salvation, is very simple. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you have a desire to follow him? Not perfectly, but progressively in your life. That there's a heart, there's a desire to want to worship, to want to obey Him, to want to serve Him. Not out of duty, but out of gratefulness as we understand all that He has done for us. As we continue to be reminded of His glory and His grace that He's manifested to us. You see, it's about the right start. With a new heart and with what Jesus is producing, in, in us are new attitudes, new affections, and new motivations. And so with that right start comes this genuine heart, the second part that we see here in this statement. And, and, and look at verse 1. Jesus says, beware. Beware. Now, Jesus doesn't use this word very often. You don't find him using it very often when he's speaking. And so when he says it, we, we should take notice and we need to beware. Even today when you see a sign that says, beware, beware. It gets your attention, you know, and especially if you see a dog behind it, you know. And, and, and anytime you see that sign, it, it sends off, ooh, I better check this out a little bit. Helping our son deliver papers for a good number of years, there were a, a number of interesting dogs in the neighborhood. And, and, and if ever you were to see a sign, beware of dog, you would take extra notice, wouldn't you? Uh, I love a sign that I have seen from time to time and and I think of the senior pastor that I started out in ministry with Pastor Ernest Regier in Saskatoon as a, I was a youth pastor and, and uh, I loved going over to their house. Their front entrance just had all these little signs and these little quotes and pictures and different things like that. And one of my favorite ones that he had hanging there in the front entry and his wife would just shake her head and just, I don't know why I let him keep it up there, but it made me laugh every time I saw it. And it said, dog okay, beware of wife. You know, and and it's just so, uh, I love it. I mean, and he could certainly get away with it. They're just an awesome couple in that way. But when we see that word beware, it means listen up, pay attention. And so Jesus is saying that and he said, beware. Watch out, you guys. Hold on. Make sure that practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. As he goes on, for then you will have your reward in full from your father. Who is in heaven. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, as Christians, we have two natures. We have our sin nature, it's referred to, and then we have our new nature from God. And, and, and they're at battle within us. I had that battle going on this morning within us, within me. And we have that battle constantly, the good things we want to do, but then we also want to do evil, or we want to ignore the good things, and there's this battle that's going back and forth, and and there's something in us that wants to do good for God, and to serve Him, and to do good for others in the name of Jesus, but we also don't mind if other people notice and recognize us for what we're doing, right? Like, that's it, we have this desire, but we're also like, ooh, but... I have a desire to serve God, but I also have a desire to impress or to please others. And here's what Jesus is saying. Don't try to impress others. Get over yourself. Don't try to look good in the eyes of other people. Don't live your life for the praise of others. And anyone who does a good deed so as to be seen or appreciated by others, it's clear, loses his or her reward from God. There's no reward for God when we're living to please ourselves and to gain the credibility and, and, and the accolades from others. No matter how good, no matter how beneficial it is. Show off Christianity has no value. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's why he says, beware, don't deceive yourselves. Don't you go around thinking that God is applauding you when you're serving him, when you're living for the attention of others. This is a serious statement. This is, this is like one of those smelling salt moments that causes us to analyze what we do for God. Where's my heart? Is it so others would be seen? So others would thank me and appreciate me and say, oh, what a blessing you are. I'm so... Or is it so that God would be glorified? Jesus is saying, be careful, be careful, be careful. And so he's saying, Be careful about the motivation behind what we do. If our motives are to praise ourselves and to see us glorified, that's dangerous. It's kind of like an itch that can't be satisfied. Have you ever had athlete's foot? Terrible. We were talking about it recently in our household. Right, Nate? And as we were having this conversation in our household this past week and I've had it a number of times, and and, and isn't it just something that you just, it just drives you crazy, and you're just, to scratch it or to rub it, oh, it feels so good, but you can't stop. And I remember one time in my teenage years, having a little bout of it, and and going to the bathtub and running the hot water, and just making the water hotter and hotter, just, oh, it felt good, the hotter it got, I actually burnt my toes, because it got way too hot. And then it really didn't feel so good or or perhaps I struggle with allergies in, in the spring, and actually when I drive past Benvolin, that's oftentimes when I get it when they're, they're out cutting the first hay of the year, and all of a sudden, my eyes start to, to get very itchy, and, and, and years ago, I get, used to have a lot more runny nose and, and sneezing and that, but now it's the worst is just that pain in the eyes. You ever, If any of you had that, it's just awful. I mean, I want to stick my fingers right through my eye sockets into my brain if I could, and, and sometimes I've done it so hard, like it's just, oh, and it feels so good, and yet you know you shouldn't. Doing it, um, I've, I've given myself a bloodshot eye before because of it, but oh, I felt so good. And when we live in the, in the same way that when we live for the praise of people, the glory of man, concerned and consumed what people think about us compared to what God really knows about us, it will never, never satisfy. Now, please understand, there's nothing wrong. We should be encouraging. God's word says that we are to encourage one another. What does he say? Whenever you just feel like it. What are we told in Hebrews? I think it's Hebrews 3 encourage one another. Anyone know? How often? Daily, we are to be encouraging one another, thanking, blessing one another, and so there's nothing wrong with being encouraged, and we need to be people who encourage one another and bless one another with our words, and and it's such a strong command in God's word. And I'm so thankful and grateful for people who, some just have the gift of encouragement in incredible ways, but we all need to be growing in this, and, and we must be doing this and complimenting and encouraging others. But when we are thanked, when we are encouraged and we get that compliment, what do we do with it? Do we take it and we hold on to it and say, yeah, I was pretty awesome, wasn't I? Or do we reflect it back to God? And this is going to be this ongoing struggle because our flesh wants to keep taking some of the credit and some of the glory. And look at what you've built. Look at what you've done. Look at your business. Look at your house. Look at your car. Look at your family. Look at your marriage. Look at all these different accomplishments that, that perhaps you've done. Look at the sales report. Look at the way you climb climbed the ladder. Are we taking the glory to ourselves? Are we reflecting it to God? The moment we start reflecting or holding on to it, is a day that we start to get into trouble. And this is what Jesus is saying, beware of. The danger is when we live to be noticed and recognized by people for their praise. It's not healthy. And in the end, it's not sustainable. It's that itch that just will never be satisfied. And pride, it moves into pride. It moves into areas of... Uh, of, of then at times just wanting more and power and control and, and it just gets dangerous and ugly. Proverbs four twenty three are these words. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so even taking and, and holding on to things and, 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 and believing the press about us, if, if, we, if we knew what God, well, we'll get to it, what God actually knows about us, the fact that he has saved us by his grace, humbles us, humbles us in any good thing that he has gifted and allowed us to be able to do or to be a part of or the talents or the giftings of bill. It's all of him. It's all because of him. Not holding on to that. And look at what he says in verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. But when you give to the needy, verse 3, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is, is, he's not telling them to abandon these things. He's not saying, don't give, don't pray. And later on, he addresses fasting after he, in verse 16, when he comes to the Lord's Supper, he says, don't, don't, don't stop doing these things. These are things you should be and ought to be doing. Look at verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Jesus is saying, keep doing these things, but do them with the right heart. And it would almost seem that, that what he's even saying here is almost a little comical when he's, you know, talking about blowing your trumpet. Don't blow your trumpet when you give. Well, what do we talk about at times? That person's just sounding their old horn, just tooting their horn. We're not to do that. And he says, don't left your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That, that's, that, that's just basically, he's saying, just just let your giving be so secretive, you know, that, that your name doesn't have to be associated with a gift or whatever it is. That, that If you don't get recognition and praise, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. In fact, that's better. Because then you, you have nothing to have to handle it. And... and and he says, Our God sees it. He rewards what is done in secret. Notice he says, in those words, he says, When we are to continue on in these things. When you pray, when you give, when you fast. But he's pressing into the motive of our heart here, examining our heart, our motives. Are we willing to practice our good deeds, our service for God, our prayers? even in secret, even if no one knows. That's what he's saying to do. It's okay to pray publicly like what we did today. That, that wasn't showing off. That, that's, it's biblical. The, the, the New Testament church did that all the time. They would meet together. They would pray together in groups. But it, he's getting at the point here that even when it comes to our prayer life, we don't need to go bragging about our prayer life and bragging about how much we give or later on when we get to the fasting part, that we make this all about us. Sometimes we can subtly even brag about our good, do, good deeds, even while trying to sound very humble. God knows a heart. And our hearts need to continue daily, hourly at times to keep going to him and say, Oh God, God, you are worthy. You are worthy. I thank you. I praise you. If our ultimate goal is to be noticed by others, we're not glorifying God. No, instead we're, we're just glorifying ourselves. And this world, it teaches us. I mean, it, it encourages us. I mean, we see it all over the place. Look at me. Look at me. Praise me. I think years ago, even in my own life, I mean, and we do it. I mean, I can't... Maybe I'm just the wicked one up here. I, I don't know. I, I struggle with this. Something I've, I, I've been set free from. I don't do this, but I'm sure there's other areas. I would hold off sending emails that I would be working on and wait, keep it in my draft folder, get up early in the morning before I'd spend time in the Word of God. I would go and I would press send to certain people, and so they would see what time that email would come, and they would say, what a devoted pastor we have. It's up at 4 in the morning. Look at that. Or 4.30, whatever the time. Does that guy ever sleep? Last night, no. Uh, But, you know, that's for other reasons. But, you know, I mean, there's... Do we do these things? And then I would go and have my time in the Word. I mean, how hypocritical. How crazy. I remember, <laughs> it didn't get me very far. Um, in, in my college years, um, I would go to ATM machines. I was a poor student. And I don't know if anyone have. maybe no one uh, else has done this, but I would go to ATM machines and look through the slips that were around and find one with a great big fat total, like five, $6,000, or whatever it might be. And then I would just leave that... You know, I'd collect a few of those, and they were around to leave in my car, so my friends or maybe that special girl, if I ever convinced one to, you know, go for a ride with me or give her a ride somewhere, that she just might take a look at that slip and say, ooh, the guy's loaded. (laughs) I mean, we do the craziest things. I mean, I'm just myself here, right, but... Okay, anyone, I mean, we, we could turn open mic time, you know, and, and I'm sure we could just find some crazy things, you know, and, and, and stuff that we've done, you know, or putting off certain tasks till certain people would be coming along, whether it be to the church or whether it be at home or out in the, you know, out in the neighborhood, in the community, just waiting so that perhaps the right people would see, oh, what a hard worker. <laughs> Yeah, we announce our good deeds with a trumpet, don't we? In so many different ways. Loved ones, you need to know this. This is a battle we are going to face until the day we die. But Jesus is saying, don't let, don't let this run your life. The being impressive before man. The look at me, look at me scenario. We're going to battle this. But he's going to help us to be, let's recognize it and, and let's confess it daily, hourly, uh, every 15 minutes if we need to. Keep reflecting the glory in our hearts back to God and if we have opportunity to do that to others and and to say that when they come and say, oh, praise God that, that that was a blessing to you. Even help deflect it that way so that as they're giving you a word of encouragement, you're giving it up to God right in front of them. If the opportunity presents itself, do it. You see... Jesus saved us not to be the headliner, but to the, be the supporting cast, to shine the light of the glory of God, not to shine the light of our lives. First Timothy or first Corinthians 1031. So whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, not to our glory, not to our church's glory not to our family's glory, all to the glory of God. That with our service to him, our giftedness, our blessing, our talents, our heritage, whatever it might be, oh, that with genuine hearts before him, we would make much of Jesus that he would continue to increase and we would continue to be in the shadows. We get to be the messengers carrying the good news. We're the supporting cast. We're not the headliner. We're not the front page story of how awesome we are. Oh, that we would not be enslaved to people-pleasing by continually, daily checking our hearts. Checking our hearts that it's not about our hype, it's about his heart and what he wants to do in us with genuine hearts. That we wouldn't make much of ourselves, but we'd make much of him. For young guys starting out in ministry, Long time ago now it seems, years ago, I think Charlotte and I were actually just dating during this time, and I watched and recorded a documentary that Diane Sawyer did on Billy Graham, and uh, it was on one of those VHS tapes. Any of you guys remember that? Yeah, some of you kids are like, "What? What are you talking about? One of these nice big VHS tapes that 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 we would have and. And Billy, in this interview, was asked a question, and the thing I love about the internet these days is a quick Google search. I was actually able to find that interview. It was part of another documentary um, piece together, and we're gonna just take a moment to watch this little clip from Billy Graham. Finally tonight here, Diane Sawyer with Reverend Billy Graham, asking about something many of us have thought about too. He was known as America's pastor, his personal connection with so many who never even met him his worries,
0: often the same as ours. Even when it came to death. How often do you think about it? I couldn't answer how often, I suppose. I think about it uh, quite a bit, like everybody else. I think we're all conscious that this life is very temporary and it's very short. The older you get, the shorter it seems. It seems just yesterday that I was milking cows for my father on the farm. We're all facing death. And we all better get worried about it and be sure we're right with God, so we're ready for that day of judgment that's going to come.
1: And Diane asked him what he hoped people would say about him after he was gone. What
0: do you hope they'll say? I don't want them to say big things about me, because I don't deserve them. I want to hear one person say something nice about me, and that's the Lord. When I face him, I want him to say to me, well done thy good and faithful servant. But I'm not sure I'm going to hear it, but that's what I would like to hear.
1: Diane Sawyer with Reverend Graham. I'm David Muir. I hope to see you right back here tomorrow. Good night. What a statement. What do you want people to say about you? I don't want anyone to say anything about me. Except to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I've never forgotten that interview. And then his honesty in admitting, no doubt, the condition of his own heart, even when he said, but I'm not sure I'm going to hear that. This is a struggle even for Billy Graham. It was a struggle for him. It will be a struggle for us, but with God's help, we persevere. And when we have the right start with a genuine heart, will result in rewards that are out of this world. You know, it's kind of crazy. You you could go home this afternoon, probably most of you, and you'd be kind of amazed at how many rewards programs that you have enrolled in. I don't know if you're like us, or maybe we're just a little bit strange in that way, and some of it I would uh, love to thank my wife for, is that we are enrolled in so many rewards programs, from credit cards, to optimum cards, to restaurants, to hairdressing, to all kinds of things, like wherever you can get points, and, and it seems any retailer, any store, any gas station, it seems these days, you can get rewards, and, 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 and spend money, and you get some points. And, and, and so each one of these means that that, that you end up with, you know, just an email, a password, and, you know, just all kinds of, you know, different points that are racking up. And, and so we work hard to build these points. We spend accordingly and strategically so we can rack up points on this card or on this or that. and hope that one day we're going to cash them in. Now, it's not a bad thing what I'm talking about. It's just amazing, though, how motivated we can be and strategic we can be about rewards Of a material nature, things here on this earth, and what about the rewards in heaven? Five times in these eight verses, Jesus uses the word reward, and when you see a word used that often, you need to take notice. And Jesus is saying, Don't settle for the reward of human praise and self glory here on this earth. That's fleeting, that's short lived. 1 Peter 1, it says, all flesh are like grass, here today, gone tomorrow. Basically, when we are praying, it's grass praising grass. And it's all withers and it turns brown and it dies. And why are we building our lives and, and, and working so hard for other blades of grass can be impressed by us? I mean, it's just foolish, it's ludicrous when you think of it in this small reward system that we're living in. It's, it's fleeting. It will one day be, it's here today and gone tomorrow. And Jesus is saying that when we're living for the rewards here on earth, there'll be no rewards in heaven. And if he's talking about rewards in heaven, it must be a pretty big deal. And God's word talks about that. Look at what he says in verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let you know what your left hand is doing, that you're so that you, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. End of verse 6, he says that again when it comes to prayer. And the Father who sees you praying in secret, meaning you're not making it a big deal about it, about your wonderful prayer life, he'll reward you. And see, when we perform our acts of devotion and service to God, to an audience of one, and not for the audience all around us, not for public hype. He says, that's a genuine heart. And the Father sees that, and he will one day reward us. And it won't be a fleeting reward. It will be eternal. It won't be here one day and then gone. It will be forever and ever, these eternal rewards. And you see, every pure act of investment in his kingdom is a reward in heaven. Amazing. He's keeping track. He's watching what happens in secret. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. First Peter 1, 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's rewards. There's a, a eternity, an inheritance awaiting for us. There's so much more to this life than, than what we're living for here on this earth and one of the greatest deceptions is that it's it's all here for 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 a time here on this earth and that's what we're going for that's what we're giving it all for it's not it's temporary here eternity eternity is forever and there's so much more to this life so much more and one of the greatest deceptions is is that we live and we work like this is everything when it's not You hear that statement, oh, that person's just so heavenly-minded, there's no earthly good. That's kind of a funny statement that that people will say. No, we need to be heavenly-minded in such a way that it would cause us to be earthly good, to live with eternity in mind, that this world is not our home, that God has rewards and pleasures and blessing beyond compare in eternity waiting for us. Now, these next few hours and days for me are going to be kind of crazy. It's part of the reason why sleep was kind of brutal last night, just trying to make sure that everything is is packed and ready and that, because right after the service, I fly to Toronto, although I did get uh, a notification which is going to make everything a little more crazy that my flight leaving Cologne is now delayed um, an hour or so. And so when I land in Toronto around probably midnight now, I have to drive two and a half hours into cottage country, into the Muskoka area, where I read today they are experiencing minus 38 wind chills and snow squalls. To go there for an elder retreat that starts early tomorrow morning, actually tonight, I guess, but I won't be there tonight, and ends on Tuesday. Then Tuesday, I drive back to the GTA, and um, right through until Wednesday afternoon, I have at least eight meetings that are lined up. And don't get me wrong, these are good meetings and this is a good thing for me to be going to and, and, and uh, there's parts of it I'm looking forward to, the details of the travel and trip, not so much. But you know what, there's light at the end of the tunnel for me. Part of it was also knowing that, hey, I just got to, I got to just, just get through these days here because you know what, Wednesday night, I fly home. I get to fly home to see you. No, it's not, not to see you. Uh, a direct flight all the way home to Kelowna from Toronto. And yes, I I come home, but um, only to turn around the next day and take off with my bride of 25 years this June to a little tropical getaway, not Saskatchewan. We're going further than Saskatchewan, just so you know. And so, I'm kind of thinking these next few days, minus 38, snow squalls, uh, flights, uh, rental car uh, meetings, all of this kind of thing. There's a part, I can handle it. I can get through it because I know what's coming. Well, how about on a much larger and eternal scale? We can endure We can press on. We can go without the praise, without the glory from man, without the accolades here, and we can go with genuine hearts, living for God's glory, doing what he's calling us to do, sacrificing and giving of ourselves because he has done the ultimate in that way that we want to do it for him. We can say no to our pride, and we can humble ourselves and serve and to give ourselves to one another in various ways. And Hebrews 11 says, he rewards those who diligently seek him. We know that in the end, it will be worth it all. In the end, eternal rewards. And and, and see, that vacation will only be for a number of days. And then it's back to life and grind. But our eternal reward, when we get to heaven, when we see him, there's going to be no end. It's going to be all-inclusive like you could never imagine. And that is our glorious hope. That's what we live for. That's what we go for. And to hear those words one day as we are trudging along here in life desiring to not live for our glory but to deflect it and give it to God and to live for His glory. To hear those words from Him one one day. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Live for that glory. Live for those words, not for the praise of man. The second Corinthians 5.10 is another reminder that that it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We will be judged. We will be rewarded one way or the other. Hebrews 4.13 reminds us that one day we will all stand and we will give an account before God. Oh, that we would be living for his rewards. His is the ultimate reward program. One deed here, one reward in heaven. What's that all going to be? We can't figure it all out. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> that's, that's worth going for. That's worth running hard for. That's worth humbling ourselves and living a life where he increases and where we decrease. Think about this, folks. The God of the universe who created, I mean, how many of you got to see that, that blood moon last Sunday night? Amazing, beautiful. We kinda so we almost forgot about went out of the backyard, saw it. Amazing, beautiful. That's our God, creator, sustainer. Who owns us, who made us. But when you think about it, we completely have violated and sinned against him, and we deserve judgment and hell for our sins. And yet what does he do? He sends his son. He sends his son to, to rescue and to redeem us. And our response to that is to love him and to serve him and to worship and obey him. And what does he do? He even takes it up a notch. He'll reward us for what we do. How amazing is that? Oh, that we would live and serve for him today. Let's bow our heads. the worship team could come up at this time as we quieten our hearts before the Lord, I want to ask you some clarifying questions about possible hypocrisy in our hearts. And I ask you, where, are we, where might you and I be living, serving, giving of ourselves, of our time or our resources for the praise and the glory of our name and not his? If there's areas that come to mind, bring it out, confess it, repent it is, confess it as sin and ask God to cleanse you and he will forgive you. May we confess before God our hypocrisy, our self-righteousness, and be reminded of his amazing grace and love for us, that he went to the extreme for us, that we would walk daily in the fullness and the freedom of our salvation. That when we receive praise here on earth, we would reflect it to our God who's in heaven, who sees it. And he says, well done, well done. And to know that all that we do here on earth and one day we will see in heaven will all be testimony to the lamb that was slain for us. And today you may feel passed over, forgotten, unappreciated by those around you. Whether you're a mother, a father, a grandparent, a church volunteer, a school teacher, a janitor, there's no trumpet when you change a diaper going off. When you fold some clothes, when you vacuum the floor, when you pay a bill, when you work those extra hours, there's no trumpets, there's no accolades coming. There's maybe at times no appreciation, no thanks. Your face and your story won't be plastered all over the internet and cover of magazines. It may seem that no one notices or no one cares. Your Heavenly Father, he does, he does, he does. And there's a day coming and he's watching. and He's noticing. He sees it. Let's live for his reward. Let's live for those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's all made possible because of his amazing grace.